Hi, Veronica. Welcome back to I'm the so, podcast. I'm so glad to be here, Whitney. You're amazing. You're my first guest that's returned. <laughs> do, come back for the round two. Round two, darling. Round two. Let's go. And I couldn't ask for a better guest for that because mm. you're fantastic and wonderful. And our first episode feels like a long time ago. It was sometime last year, but it feels... You were one of my first guests, like towards the beginning. I Yeah, I was. Yeah, early oh. on. And then we really focused on your work as a certified sexologist. We talked a lot about your story and your work in that, but we're changing gears this time. We are. I've got, I've got another set of credentials that I'm rocking. Tell us about it. Uh, I became an IFS informed coach. So uh, at this point, IFS is not certifying coaches, but you take trainings and then you can call yourself an IS, IFS informed coach. IFS is Internal Family Systems. It was developed by Richard Swartz about 30 years ago. You can read a little mention of it in uh, Bessel van der Kolk's New York Times bestselling book, The Body Keeps the Score. One of the things that's great about internal family systems, not to be confused with family systems therapy. They're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Internal family systems is about working with subpersonalities that we all have yeah. and learning how to work with those parts so that we can get them to relax and evidence more self. And self has eight characteristics. I'm not going to trot them all out here, but some of my favorite ones are things like compassion and clarity and confidence and calm. And curiosity is my favorite one about that because I like to remain curious which is the opposite of contempt. And a lot of us sometimes get contemptuous before we investigate things. So curiosity is just really key. And believe it or not, uh, there's kind of like a little power struggle going on inside of all of us uh, because these parts are not always um, cooperating with each other. This is why somebody decides, I'm going to go on a diet, but then they break their diet. Or somebody says, I'm going to save money, but then they spend their money. It's it's really a function of the different parts and that they have different value systems and motivations. So if we get to know those parts, then they can start to work on our behalf instead of working against us. And the, the goal always was to help us, but depending on how much trauma you've had in your life, particularly your childhood, these parts sometimes kind of go off in their own directions and their job was to protect you and take care of you. But now you're grown up and it's not working so well. Does that make sense? Totally. I hear you. I'm I'm, I'm a huge fan of IFS because I think it's such a unique look at, you know, just what you said, the different parts that we have, the way that things are working and operating within us that so often we blame on a lack of self-discipline or, you know, too much of one thing or another and not giving the proper acknowledgement that we are yes. complex beings with right. many different facets to us that are often the result of things that have happened to us and almost always a means of trying to keep ourselves safe and supported. Yes. And I mean, not to get too into the fields that you and I are in, but gestalt therapy talks about the introject, which is also an internal part. But the only thing I gestalt for me doesn't feel quite as curious and kind um because sometimes when i'm rating psychotherapists who are in that um particular practice it's more about like you know how do we 
get rid of the interject. And, and with IFS, it's so loving. You it's welcome just, all the parts. You you it's a big old party happening up in here with all of us. There's a lot exactly. of different people there. As, you got to say, what, welcome them all. As one of my clients said, he, he said, wow, it's complicated in there. And I'm like, yes, it is. It's super complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Just like when you get, you know, a team of people working on a project or a group of friends, different personalities clash, different people have different values, different things that are important to them. But oh, yeah. there's the same group of people right within one individual. So here's here's a quick test anybody can do. And that is, is there some part of you or some habit that you have or some way of thinking or behaving that you hate because if most of us kind of have like, Oh, I hate that I do that. Or I, I, I hate that I think that way. Yeah. Um, and that's, those are like two parts that are competing for control. So one will like sabotage the other one and yes. self self loves all of them. Self is, you know, compassionate and caring. So that's what we're, we're looking for. This self-acceptance. That's not, it's counterintuitive because people kind of want to whip themselves into shape and make themselves do the right thing. And if you are working in partnership with the parts, you're more interested in what they're worried about, why they're on the job, why they're, you know, kind of acting out. And then once you have a conversation with these parts, they start to relax. You can work in partnership with them. You actually will get more done and accomplish those goals that you might be frustrated with right now. Yeah. yeah. I would always use the example of uh, the a round table with my client to picture all themselves mm-hmm. sit- seated at a round, the old round table, like from medieval times where everybody, there's no head of the table. Everybody is sitting together and to see it is just, as you said, sometimes there's going to be one part that's like banging their fist and standing up and saying, I listen to me. And if we try to just shut it off and say, no, you don't, you're not welcome here. Well, that's just going to set them off even more. The biggest thing is to say, we hear you. You're welcome here. Say what you yeah. need to say. And yeah. then please sit down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, I'm learning how to also ask parts to, you know, sometimes it's, usually I, I say, would, would it feel good to give a little space right now? Or, um, and sometimes the parts will come back and go, no. <laughs> I encountered that with a client yesterday and I was kind of like, so I, I asked the questions, <laughs> the part answered it. And then they said, that was the trick. And I go, yeah, guilt is charged. Um, <laughs> I was just, but I said, but thanks for agreeing to relax for a little bit, which is what a little space so I could ha- talk to this exile. And for your viewers and, and listeners, an exile is usually the part that's being protected. So, I mean, you probably already know these words, but I just want to kind of spell them out. We've got the managers. They tend to be a little more cerebral and they plan things out. Then you got the firefighters. They're, they come in and just um, will take any risk they have to in order to save you. Mm-hmm. And, and then the exiles are the, the, the little wounded parts that are hidden way deep inside of us. Yeah. And um, sometimes they feel neglected and abandoned. So we want to, we want to develop a relationship and a rapport with them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And I, I love how, when I brought it into therapy, clients get really into it and some, some of them more than others, right? Everyone has a different way to respond to different techniques. And some people are like, that's not for me. I don't 
jive with that. But other people, I've had clients who are like, so every day they're like, well, guess who showed up today? And like, guess what happened here? Well, the, you know, the protector came in and then did, and it's like, wow, okay. You really, this really works for you. It's true. It's true. Um, and some of my clients see they have certain ways of dressing and they have names and they have faces and these whole full-blown personalities. And then others, it's just kind of like this amorphous ball of light or some kind of dark energy that is shaping a part or or it's just a sensation in their body, like a tightness in their chest or a pain in their shoulder or something like that. Everybody's got very different ways of doing this. But one of the things that I love is that so I can have a couple come in and they're maybe arguing or not, not enjoying a good sex life or they feel disconnected or they think they're falling out of love with each other. And I lead them through some IFS exercises, get them in touch with the wounded parts inside themselves, ask those firefighters and managers to give us a little space so we can get real. And then they go home and, and have a wonderful romantic evening with each other or the best sex of the, that they've had in years it's amazing because it, it's not a direct line like you're thinking oh well let's go fix your sex life or let's go fix the arguments it's more about let's work what's going on inside of you mm-hmm. and when we get this place inside of you that's authentic and open the rest of your life is going to fall in place yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's about, you know, finding that authenticity and feeling authentic in who you are. Another thing that I like about IFS is that it helps you to kind of shift from saying, you know, we go throughout our day and sometimes I feel like, oh man, I'm I'm being really bossy or, oh, I'm being really insecure or I'm I'm being really, you know, too much or whatever it is, but you kind of shift it to like, be more curious, like, oh, wow, the, okay, the bossy side of me is showing up today. They're ready to, okay, let's see what they have to bring or, or, oh, yeah. the, you know, the sad part of me, the sort of like shy part is coming out. Okay. Well, what do they have to say? What's, what's going on? So you get more welcoming and curious rather than like, like, no, 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 like this, I shouldn't be like this. And this is not good. And yeah. all that judgment that we have so much of. Yes. That's, this is one of the things I love about IFS. It's not shaming. It's not judgmental. And it creates so much space for each and every one of us to be human yes, um, and to be loved. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important. And um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's helpful because, you know, then there's, there's more room for people to be okay with having different sides to themselves. You know, sometimes you can, um, you know, I have people tell me like you have, it's like you're two different people sometimes. Like you act one way and then you act another way. And it's like, that's okay. We all do. We all have different personas and different parts. And I think really welcoming that notion in more and saying, that's just what it means to be human rather than being like, oh, well, this person's, you know, this or that, because they're showing up like this sometimes, other times they're like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm working with, so I'm, I'm not only studying IFS and bringing that to my clients, but I also have an IFS therapist. And, um, I mean, to me, if you're going to get help from somebody, they should be getting help from somebody because they're not, if they're not working their edge and they're not working their stuff, uh, they may not be, you know, really like people can get kind of lazy and go back into some bad habits. So I always, I always like working with uh, therapists and coaches who have therapists and therapists. Yep. Cause we're yeah. all, and you know, I'm a big believer that there's a time for a reprieve and a time for action. And sometimes like I've had breaks 
for sure in between different therapists. Cause I've had, you know, I had recovery therapists and then I had spiritual therapists and then a spiritual coach. So there's different, you know, the people that we need for our growth will usually have a a sense for like, okay, I think now I'm really needing more coaching or, okay, now I need to, things are coming up. I need a therapist. I need to talk through this. I need to work through this. And one of the things I like about you, Whitney, and it's, it's also, I like it because it's what I do as well, is that you don't, make your own personal struggles a secret. Nope. You're not trying <laughs> to be above it. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I'm right, right there with everybody, right? Exactly. And I, I like to tell my clients, it's not basically just coaching my, you know, I'm coaching you the stuff that I learned. Um, not always. Sometimes the stuff I learned a couple of decades ago, but sometimes the stuff I just learned, you know, a couple of, of years ago. Or maybe a couple months ago, I I like to teach my edge. I like to be expanding. And sometimes when I'm working with people's parts, I I get to grow myself. And so invariably, the client looks at me with all this gratitude and says, thank you so much. And I'm just like, thank you. Yeah. Because it's such a gift to me. It's, It's so sacred to be able to help people. It is. It is. It's it's the most, I was just speaking to this um, on another interview, which is, you know, just what an honor it is to hold, be in that space with another where it's, because I think the profound part is the truth is coming out. And for someone to actually, especially the way that our world is, where people don't often feel safe speaking truths, sharing their true experience, their true selves. We see, keep so much hidden. There's not a lot of transparency, but when you're in that space with someone and they feel that they can let their guard down, their walls down and show you, that's when true healing happens. And when you bear witness to that, it is, it's powerful. It's beautiful. And it can be really uplifting for, for the client, but also the practitioner. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we're always healing. We're always healing together, whether you're in the care of the healer or being healed. It's, it's it's, uh, symbiotic. And that's one of the things that I love about IFS too, because with the, in the classes that I've taken, uh, the workshops I've attended and the therapists that I've worked with, um, there's so much humility. Yeah. And and so, you know, it, it, sometimes my parts have kind of like, you know, yelled out at the the therapist parts and said, I am no fair. I don't like what you just said and did. And, and the therapists are like, take a pause and go, let me check my parts right now and, and see if any of them are activated. So it's it's like this this amazing partnership. Yeah. And, and I do that with my clients too. I have sometimes said, you know what? I think a part of me got triggered just now. You know, I'm I'm going to work with that. And and sorry that came into this session, but let's learn. Let's learn from it. Let's use it as a learning tool. You know? Yeah, completely, completely. There, everything that happens in those rooms is a learning tool. When there's honesty, when there's equality, right? Like you said, yes. I'm a big believer, and there's no like any sort of hierarchy within a, a therapy room. It's just no. one, one human being to another. And one person is saying, yeah. let me offer what I can in this moment. But sometimes, you know, then they're going to be the one that receives in another space. So, oh yeah, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. thing. So, all right. So IFS is your new jam. It's what you're focusing on. Congratulations on the certification and getting to, because it sounds like you're loving that work. 
But then what we're really going to get into today on the show is about narcissism and narcissistic abuse. So this is our first theme show. Because so you, we had you on before and you know, my format is usually highlighting the guest is like who this person is, what they're all about. And then their story. And we've done that with you. And if you, if people haven't watched it, I'm going to put in the show notes, I'm going to put the link to your first episode, but today we're getting focused on one topic, right? Cause there's so much, I mean, there's, we could talk forever about so many different things, but this is a really poignant and pertinent ish topic right now. I feel yes. and you reached out to me and you said, I'm ready to talk about this. And I said, let's yes. do it. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Cause there's, there's all kinds of podcasts and uh, videos out there about narcissism. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple that I really like. I'm not going to promote them right now, but I just, you know, I found a couple, but there's a ton of them that are actually pretty toxic. So it's it's really important to be selective about the kind of information that you're pulling in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's, it's this specifically, I mean, I'll say that, you know, I have my qualms with any diagnoses. I think it can be very detrimental. I don't, I I think there's a lot of issues with psychiatric and, you know, mental issue diagnoses. With that said, there's a lot of stuff out there that can be very misleading and very upsetting, as you said, when you're, because I mean, there's everything on the internet, right? So anybody can go on there and speak to what is, you know, narcissistic personality disorder or what is narcissism and, you know, get very muddled. And I think especially narcissism right now is something, it's talked about so much because we see a lot of it in our world. What we're really seeing is people who are hyperly self-focused because we live in such an individualistic society where people have learned to, it's all about me and I have to figure out how to climb as high as I can. So we have this really self-centered sort of psyche, right? Mm-hmm. But most, a lot of us though are, are constantly trying to rebalance and bring ourselves back to, you know, who am I in relation to others? How do mm-hmm. I affect others? How, you know, relational rather than just individual, So, um, what I guess what I'm trying to say is that it just, it feels like narcissism is all around us a lot of the time because it's what we, and that, that, that terminology, um, it gets bandied about in ways that are, I think irresponsible. So, so there's, there's narcissism and then there's narcissistic personality disorder Yes, and they're not the same thing. They're very different. They are. And, and I, I would say that we have a narcissistic, the Western culture is incredibly narcissistic. Uh, That's why we have influencers and so much of that kind of stuff on Instagram and selfies and Facebook. And people are just, you know, here's what I had for lunch and here's me with my friends and, and we're having a perfect life. And it's it's very self-referential and it can be a little bit phony at times because and myself included like you know oh am i going to post all the bad stuff well sometimes but probably i'm going to post the bad stuff quote unquote that would actually arouse um sympathy or empathy from people probably not going to say yeah i I yelled at uh, my partner today and I really feel terrible about it. Um, <laughs> probably, you know, say something more like, you know, a loved one just died. And so I, I noticed that people are not being 
that self-revealing, even though it seems like they're sharing everything. Yeah. So we still all are kind of in this soup of trying to look good. Yes. And that is a component of narcissism. Yeah. Also, every child, you know, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I, I... I think it's somewhere around age four is going to go through a narcissistic stage. It's actually a good thing. Um, It's an important thing to have some narcissism when you're a child. And and then you pass through that stage Mm -hmm. and hopefully don't get stuck there, but this is where sometimes people get stuck. Yeah. And narcissistic personality disorder, of course, is in the DSM and, I am no fan of the DSM. That's the Diagnostic Statistics Manual. That's kind of the Bible for those of us in the in the psychological fields. Mm-hmm. Only saying that, not for your benefit, for those people watching right now. <laughs> um, well, if you go back just a few years ago, the DSM also said homosexuality was a mental disorder. So there's this way in which I just, I think this is similar to what you just expressed. I'm no fan with these labels yeah, because they really um, can demonize people and make them the problem. And it lacks curiosity. It lacks compassion. You know, my understanding of when I was getting my psychology degree was that that was a field that was struggling to prove itself as a hard science. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it became a little bit hardened. Um, very hierarchical, very, you know, oriented towards all those white men. I got so sick of studying about everybody from Freud to Eric Erickson. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are there no women in this field? Obviously not. Not many. And no people of color. Um, So, yeah. In some ways, it it just kind of shot itself in the foot, I think. And, and one of the things I love about Richard Swartz and founding IFS is, you know, he's he's worked with people who are um, um, child sexual offenders, like, you know, people that have abused children. And he's just, he's so um, optimistic, so optimistic about helping people to to become their best expression of themselves. So I'm I'm an optimist, and I, I'm I'm sure you are too. That's why we love to help people. Yes. Well, the way I'm looking at NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, is the constellation of symptoms, the things that you would look for. I think they're key. I think they're important because then it helps you understand this is not just somebody who's trying to be an Instagram influencer or loves to yeah. do selfies. This is not just somebody who's completely like, oh, me, 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 me. It's MPD is 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 manipulative and it's toxic. So it involves gaslighting, telling you that something you know very well happened did not happen. And over time, that can start to erode your sense of self and your trust in yourself. Um, and it also is really invested in looking good. And the reason that MPD is all about looking good is because there is zero tolerance for that personality to be wrong or to look bad. 
Yeah. And, and it has, it's the opposite of ego. It's the opposite of overconfident. Is actually somebody who's incredibly fragile and vulnerable and full of self-hatred. Yeah. And severely insecure. Yeah. It's a big thing. Yeah. So, but if you are on the receiving end of narcissistic abuse, it can be incredibly crippling. You can start to um, lose your health. You can start to feel like you're losing your sanity. You can start to buy into the the bullshit that the narcissist is feeding. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody around you, by the way. So the agenda a lot of times is to look good to everybody else so that you look like the crazy bad person. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the really important things to look for. And here's where the IFS twist comes in. Instead of saying that that person has narcissistic personality disorder, what we would say is that they have a part that has narcissistic personality disorder. A part, which means that that's not the whole human being. Yeah. And that is so much different than the common narrative is that they can't change, they won't change, and they're hopeless. And and some people go so far as to say they're demonic or evil. Yeah. Um, And I'm like, the behavior is evil, not the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, they're actually, I mean, there's been talk in in recent years about doing away with the, with personality disorders, because of what you just said is that it, it gives this really hardened stamp of like, oh no, this isn't just a, a part of you. This is who you are. And this person is fundamentally this way. And there's no change in that because your personality is considered like your sort of like blueprint of who you are, right? It's how you're expressed. And to say like, oh no, your, your whole blueprint is narcissistic is a very powerful thing to say. What I will say, as long as we're still working with the term personality disorder is to think of it as, I kind of think of it like when you say that somebody has a substance abuse problem or tends to abuse substances versus a substance abuse disorder, we use disorder when it really begins really impacting their lives, several sectors of their lives, their relationships, their work environment, their living abilities, just everything in their life. And also that it's consistent and persistent, right? So it's not like a once in a while, this person abuses substance. It's they're consistently drinking every day. So I think of it that way in that all of us are narcissists at some point or another, right? But when somebody is to the point where it's a lot consistently most of the time and it starts to be called out in work, in the relationships, that's when it moves towards, I still think dis- disorder is the wrong word and personality mm-hmm. is the wrong word because it's still, just like you were saying with the parts work, it's a part of somebody that's just, it's like a deep insecurity that's been overgrown to compensate for that. You know, to, they yeah. can't understand themselves as someone who is a, a worthy person that is seen and understood. So they've created this shield and it manifests as something that is completely consumed with themselves and and overlooks everyone else because they need to put themselves first all the time. Yeah. But, but it's a very interesting thing about MPD to me. And I, and I, I do value having that term disorder to distinguish between, um, you know, a characteristic yeah. Because or tendency. I like I like what you said. It's persistent. Yeah. And and it's also toxic. Mm-hmm. So and it's very destructive. It's, it's just, dangerous. It can be dangerous to others yeah. because we all know that people just we're going to talk about narcissistic abuse. It's 
you, it's not just contained to the person, it impacts other people around them. So that's when it becomes... Yeah. And it's, it's, da- it's dangerous to the person too, because I, I think that MPD can also lead to things like dissociative amnesia, um, where the person doesn't even remember the bad things that they've done. Yeah, um, I think those two disorders can work in concert with each other to create a person who is completely clueless as to how that they are navigating their relationships. Absolutely. Well, um, I think that it definitely occurs that because a big part of narcissism is manipulation and lying, right? People who learn to lie to get the things that they want and to get people to think the way that they want them to think about them. And I think that just as you said, I think people, they don't even realize they're doing it anymore at a certain point. That's the thing. That's the thing. I want to take it, to dispel the myth that we have, that these people are somehow these evil geniuses that have figured out how to pull all the strings. Mm-hmm. Are there some people like that? We actually have a term for them. We call those psychopaths. Yeah. Or, and there's also, so there's different types of um, narcissism, which we'll, I think we'll talk about, but there's like, I think yes. malignant is the one that would refer to someone who's really kind of yes. nefarious in their doing. And, and I think a malignant narcissist would be, and you could share your expert opinion on this, but I think they're, they're pushing towards the psychopath envelope. Yeah. yeah. As far Absolutely. as it's, they're very similar. When you start to hear the definition, you're like, wait, isn't that yeah. Because it's, it's it. about using people in relationships specific yes. just for personal gain. And there's there's absolutely no no empathy, no emotional involvement whatsoever. But there could be somebody who's got MPD as a part. Um that and that part can start to like rule the whole personality of that person and it can just define everything about them. And yet one of the things I find fascinating about narcissistic personality disorder is it has a huge codependent streak. And almost nobody's talking about that, but I really want to elevate that right now. And the codependent streak <laughs> is about <clears throat> love bombing. So as soon as, and this is actually, some of this terminology, you start to wonder why it's, oh, okay. So when the narcissist does it, it's love bombing. But when a target, that would be the person who is in a relationship with the narcissist, does it, it's called fawning. Mm. And okay, if if the narcissist is an evil genius, then their love bombing is meant to somehow or another sway you. And I think that could be a case could really be made for like some of these powerful gurus who have used love bombing as a way to get followers and rip them off and take their money and sexually abuse them yes um and gain tremendous power yeah which happens at that high level of gurus but also at an individual level in relationships where somebody starts with like like you said love where it's like you are amazing you are and then they make them feel so incredible but then they kind of twist it to say but you have so much potential let me show you how you could really if you could just stop doing these things that's when people within the same way like when someone is in you know, gets caught in a cult or whatever it is. And, yes. and, or somebody gets caught in a toxic relationship. It's that same where you're like, oh, well, I, they, they see the potential in me. They believe in me. They have a vision and I, I like their vision. I see their vision and their vision. They okay. raise me up. So that's where I want to be. But you don't realize that their intention is um not right. So that's, that's the thing that I want to, I want to look at that. 
Because I don't completely buy in that all the people who have evidence of narcissistic personality um, abuse, who are, who are doing the abusive behaviors, are intentional. I, I'm not convinced that that's the case. I do think there are some people that are very intentional. But I also think that there's some people who do huge damage who are running on fear. And they're they're trying to survive. The, the organism, I'm just going to refer to the, their internal place, it's like an organism, is trying to survive. And the survival mechanism is to keep all information out that might sully their impression of themselves. Mm-hmm. And to try to manage the people around them to keep all of their self-hatred at bay. That's a lot different than I want to try to fool everybody so I can take all their money. Yeah. Now, those people exist. They do. But, but most of the most Rare. of the people that I work with who might have a, a, a partner, a spouse, who is evidencing narcissistic personality disorder, that person didn't set out to... Um, you know, take all their money and ruin their life and have complete control over them. They're usually doing a survival strategy. Yeah. And it's a really messed up one. It's a destructive one, but it's not much different from the domestic violence abuser, who is also, in my view, one of the most codependent people on this planet. Because that's why you wind up with the domestic violence abuser, his wife leaves finally, finally finds the courage to leave and he goes to her door to her new address shoots her dead and then commits suicide how can you possibly have a more codependent behavior this is not about survival it's it's about survival of the internal psyche yeah. but they actually kill themselves in the process so i Looking at it through that filter, and I'm a domestic violence coach. I work with people who suffer from domestic violence. So I have a broad um, container for compassion for people who do horrific things. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm looking at how codependent some people with MPD are because their survival is about you liking them and seeing them as a hero. Yes. Well, it's essentially what just kind of popped in my mind is that that feeling is like their, um, you know, their life raft. It's like they're the thing that's keeping them afloat. And so they don't know how to be, if they had were without it, they would sink because their own belief about themselves is so marred and so dark that they, to be left alone is terrifying. Can you imagine thinking that you are just because, okay, I really th- believe that most people's concept of themselves is created within the first few years of their lives, definitely within childhood, a lot of it, right? It's, you know, the messaging they get. And so if they're not, and the most important messages are that you are loved, you are safe, yeah. right? And you are worthy no matter what. But when you're told the opposite, which unfortunately a lot of people are, which is because, yeah. you know, people are raised by people, Parents are just people yeah. who became older and had a kid. So if they're operating from fear and anxiety, they're going to they put that on. And have a child raised in an environment where it's like nothing they do is enough. Everything they do yeah. is wrong. Well, yeah. how you kids don't know how to develop a, a self-concept that's healthy. They rely on their caregivers for that. So that's when you're true. talking about a, somebody who's developed a narcissistic personality disorder, you can only imagine just how deep that fear is and that insecurity because they've never been given that 
stable ground. They've been at sea their whole lives. So they cling on to people like a life raft. And I think just as you said, I don't think most people go out to abuse others, but it's all they know to hold on to for dear life. Yeah, yeah it's true. And, and look, there's, there's different schools of thought on this about how somebody develops MPD. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think the emerging science around this is that most people with MPD were severely abused as children. And that that is not an invitation to them, if you have a partner who's abusing you narcissistically, um, to tolerate it no. or stick around and try to help or fix them. And I think this is another important thing. And I, like I said, I work with domestic violence. Um, the, the ask is not, well, your partner is abusing you because they were abused as children. So therefore, <clears throat> try to be patient and understanding. No. You want to look for the signs. You want to have some bright line boundaries where you exit the situation unless this person is what? Not sorry. We don't care about people being sorry. Everybody's sorry when they want to be forgiven so they can do it again. That's not the litmus test here. Meaningful moves towards change. So in a domestic violence situation, depending on the severity of the abuse, and I've got a big container about what I consider domestic violence too, because as far as I'm concerned, pushing is domestic violence. Um, Threatening to run off with the kids is a form of domestic violence. So, you know, gaslighting is also an abuse that is listed in the description of signs of domestic violence. So emotional abuse, yeah. got all those things, mental abuse, every, all of yeah. that is yeah. a part of it. So, but if your partner is actually threatening your life, you know, with a weapon or leaving bruises, marks and cuts on your body, you mm-hmm. need to get out of there. Absolutely. Now, th- but if I'm talking to a domestic violence uh, survivor, I don't tell them that they have to go get a divorce and leave this person forever. I start laying out for them If you want to see if this relationship is repaired, you're going to have to have some really strict boundaries Mm -hmm. about what kind of behavior you expect going forward. And I use my own life as an example. My husband perpetrated violence towards me back in 92, shortly after we got married. I got a restraining order. I called the cops and filed an official report. I changed the locks, I kicked him out, and then I pointed him towards a six-month program for men who are violent. And I said, if you, you know, complete this program, I may not file for divorce. If you don't, I'll file for divorce now. I don't care either way. So he chose to enroll in the program. We were separated for six months, and he, he got it. We, oh. we, stayed, we stayed married for another uh 14 years and what prompted our divorce was not domestic violence it was unfortunately that he relapsed around drugs and alcohol well thank you for sharing that veronica yeah. I think it's so important to talk about that because and you and i have related on this is that i am not a, a fan of cancel culture or people yeah. being you know what if you've done something that people would consider an atrocity or really just completely unforgivable that you're basically condemned. And that's just, I mean, I I think that goes against, um, you know, be 
just embracing a human being, embracing that humans are the result of things that have happened to them, the way that they've learned to cope with the world, to cope with their own pain. And just your point, it doesn't mean that we say, no, 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 everybody go do what you want. If somebody violates our, you know, our safety or it hurts us physically or mentally, we say, I cannot be a part of this. I, you know, I understand that this may not be your intention and this is due to other stuff, but I cannot subject myself to that, even though I, you know, I'm not going to say that you're a terrible person, but I, I think it's not safe for me to be around you. But to say that and to say, give the option of there is help out there. There are ways to address this, but it takes a lot of things, right? Your husband was brave because he said, okay, I'll take a look at this. People, a lot, most people don't, they'll say, I mean, especially with, uh, with narcissism, it's, what are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with me. This is you. And this is something I also want to get into uh, narcissistic abuse is that they, narcissists will often spin it around, you know, oh, yeah. and they say, oh, wow. So you're going to be hysterical now. You're going to, you know, overblow this. Like you always do when actually you're the one, you're the one that's selfish and abusive. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then they'll put their own cause. And here's also the interesting thing. Cause we talked about how they almost don't know what they're doing. Because I've seen people directly launch stuff at someone else that was literally their the stuff that they do. Like, oh, well, you lie about everything. And it's like, that's not even true. That's what you do. And I don't even think that person realizes they're doing it. It's like subconsciously, there's they know who they are, but they can't face it. So they'll project it onto someone else, right? So IFS to me is, is such a help here. Because I get, okay, so how is it that this part of them gets so much power? And if we're going to go back to that abusive childhood, this becomes the best strategy that this particular human being as a young person had for surviving the abuse that was being meted out to them by their parents. Mm -hmm. And it it helped them survive. It helped them what? It helped them not commit suicide. And it helped them to find some sense of self that they could feel good about some way that they were, oh, it was tolerable to be them. Yes. So that's that's the strategy and it, it, and it worked to save their, their sanity and their life, but they're not really all that sane because they're still, that part has taken over the whole show. And that's what I would describe as NPD is that's when it's an actual becomes what we, if we have to call it that a personality disorder is because it really has, taken over in a lot of ways it's taken over that's all there is but but underneath all that so far inside that human being who is you know in my view a spirit a soul there's lots of other parts oh yeah we, we can't get to them because that mpd part is a very very jealous protector and it's not gonna let any other parts talk yeah and I'm I'm not completely convinced that this um, this um, uh, love bomber is part of the MPD. I sometimes think that's a codependent aspect that comes in there. To well, you got to reel them in. Wait, I'm survive if I'm alone. Yeah. And so that part's allowed to to really what I consider fawn mm-hmm. to try to pull you back in. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, I think an important thing to also talk about is, um, well, okay. So that's sort of like the inception point, right? When you first get introduced to someone and they are just so, you know, um, charismatic 
and charming. charming. Perfect. And the, and the, perfect. The deceptive thing is that the, it can really feel like they see you. Right. Yeah. And, and I will say, and I'll just speak from my experience, but I think it's common for women that when you feel like you haven't been seen by many people and you feel like somebody does see you, it's very yeah. enchanting. It can be very, you know, kind of hypnotizing where it's like, wow, like they really get me. They really understand me. And I think somebody who's developed narcissistic traits knows how to use that angle and knows that that's what they can kind of lure someone in with. But then what's important to talk about is trauma bonding, which if it's okay to get into that, which is yeah. what happens when, you know, somebody gets lured in and they've gotten this sweet, warm, loving feeling with someone. And then all of a sudden the abuse comes in where at all of a sudden it's like, why, why would you say that to me? You know, what, why would you lie like that? And the person's like, I didn't lie. I just told, and you know, like that, that sort of gaslighting. And then the per, you know, there's this whole fight. And then, you know, the, the partner is like, well, wait a minute. Am I, is this a bad relationship? Like who is this person? Why are they acting this way? And they threatened to leave, but then back comes the charm. And it's like, I am so sorry. You know, you know that I love you. You know, I was just upset and yeah. I, you know, I care for you so much. And so that person who's just been traumatized by this, you know, sort of manipulative act is lured back in by the comfort of their abuser, which is just like domestic abuse, it right? It is absolutely like domestic abuse. And I, I wish more um, professionals were pointing out the similarities uh, between those two dynamics, because the domestic violence dynamic, we can understand that more from a, a human side, that those are actually human beings. Mm-hmm. And, and probably because it's so darn common um, that men perpetrate domestic violence. And women also, people of all genders can perpetrate domestic violence, but by and large, you're going to find most of the domestic violence, particularly the really egregious, violent, you know, uh, that's going to put somebody in a hospital. Yeah, Most of it, not all of it, but right. most of it by somebody who's um, male gendered. Mm-hmm. And that really, you know, it brings up a lot of questions. Also, by the way, NPD tends to be more about cisgender males. Yeah. So what is it about the way we're raising our boys? Or what is it about, you know, if you want to go nature on this, what it is about testosterone or the Y chromosome? I personally am a nurture kind of girl. So I'm always interested in what it is about our culture that is shaping um, boys to be more narcissistic and abusive. Yeah. And, and and I don't ever want to lose that narrative because everybody who's ever had a little baby boy in their arms knows that at some point there was just something sweet and innocent and beautiful there. And yes. and if we're if we're if we're producing too many men who abuse, we need to change how we're raising our boys. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if I, you know, can kind of throw out my two cents is I think that a lot of it is that the messaging that they get from the time they're little, that is men are meant to, you know, conquer and take over and be successful and be, you know, the, the rulers of the world. That's still, I mean, that we live in a, a man's world. It's oh, and there's, and there's male entitlement. Yes. And so they come in, they're like, okay, I guess that's how I fit in here is I'm meant to. And that that really psyche really gets, in there with men where it's like, and I think that the, you know, my thought is that that's why we're seeing this increase in, in narcissism is because it really is sort of just brought in there so early that you are, you are entitled 
to be the, the, you know, the, the powerful one to be, to get what you want to, to be seen, to always have everyone really look to you. Right. And of course, this is, we don't want to say this about all men because it's just not true. However, yeah. it is the, the, the dominant narrative around men, right? Is it that is. this and, is your rightful place at the top yeah. above others. Yes. And, and if you achieve that status, then you will have a, a, a right to have access to certain things, which is then why I think we see yes. certain people in power really abusing that power. Yes. Um, and becoming sexual um, abusers, perpetrators, yes. um, and domestic violence perpetrators. And I, yeah. I think the similarities between MPD and domestic violence perpetrators is is so um, abundantly clear yeah. that it would be safe to say that somebody who's perpetrating domestic violence probably is evidencing a narcissistic personality disordered part, yeah. because they they feel so entitled to be forgiven and given another chance, which I consider part of the love bombing. Yeah. I can't live without you, baby. I'm so sorry. When it's like that, it's never the sort of way that like you describe with your husband where it's actually like, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm exhibiting unhealthy, dangerous behavior. I need to check. It's it's, I'm going to say whatever I need to in order that, that this is gone and I get to keep doing what I want to do. You know, that's yeah, the point and, of violence and, and narcissism. That, that first that first move on his part was not one of contrition. It was it was more resignation. He'd also gotten arrested for something else and he just figured he'd better start trying to get his act together. And um what happened was on his way to complying with all of this authority that was coming down on him, he he had a change of heart and and became a nonviolent guy uh, who who mentored me with my anger management issues. Yeah. So, you know, I, I so believe that people can um, transform, but yeah. it does not help to enable somebody who's abusive. No. I know that from personal experience, and I know that from working with my clients. If you don't have really bright boundaries and know how to assert those and take care of yourself and put yourself first, you're going to continue to be a sucker and possibly a punching bag. Yeah, absolutely. But, and there's also, you know, and you know this, of course, because you uh, have the shame free zone, which is your, is that the podcast that you have still or show? you? I I do. I have my YouTube channel by that name. And also Mm -hmm. the website is called the shame free zone. And and the sign uh, over my door is the shame free zone. Yeah. And so, those of us that find ourselves in abusive or narcissistic relationships or situations, there's no shame, whether you stay in it for a month or 10 years. Cause I think that's also why some people stay is because they're so ashamed of what they've tolerated of how they've been treated. Or in my case, um, early on in my life, I um, was in an abusive relationship with my fiance is fresh out of college. And these were during my drug days. And I just, I didn't know there was another reality. Mom and dad were hitting each other. Yeah. So this is the other thing to be looking at. We want to always be looking at ourselves. What is it about me that made me susceptible to this abuse? Why, Why am I signing up for it? Why am I giving this person another chance? Why am I forgiving them? Why am I making excuses for them? Why am I taking on the blame? Yeah. And in my case, 
I was scapegoated by my parents and my parents are both, they were, mother's still alive, but she's in a, she's got really serious Alzheimer's. She doesn't know who she is anymore. My dad died about seven years ago, but both of my parents were narcissists, Mm. both of them. And they were different. So one of the things I wanted to highlight today too, is the covert narcissist, which is what my mother was. Yes. And a covert narcissist is, is downplays themselves. They're mm-hmm. very humble. They're kind of pious. Um, sometimes they're sick a lot and feel sorry for themselves. They want you to feel sorry for them. They really make themselves the center of attention. And they actually manipulate through their good deeds. Mm-hmm. And you don't, it, it's very seductive because you don't realize it's happening. Yes. And you play into the same way you play into a narcissist kind of blaming you for things. You play into a covert idea of, oh gosh, you poor thing. You need help. You need to be like, I'm so sorry for you. I'm so, you know, I want to, because those of us who are empathic or want to tend to help people, then we, but then you begin to see, and it's especially hard when it's parental because it can be challenging to say, is there something up with my parent that feels a little bit like you know, yeah. like out of line to say, to say, oh, I, you know, I think my my parent might be manipulative. Well, when you're if you're still a child, it's impossible because your yeah. psyche can't even handle the concept of a parent being anything but infallible, which is why as children, we take on all the bullshit that they're throwing at us and make ourselves bad yeah. because we're just so invested in protecting the parents. Yeah. Yeah. But certainly as you get older and you're an adult and you're, you know, putting food in your own mouth, it's time to be able to be honest with your parents. And, you know, if you don't have to paint them with such a broad brush that they're demonic or bad people, if you can just see that they're wounded people who were abusive. Yeah. But I just, I think that's so important if we can just understand wounded people who are abusive are very dangerous. Take that seriously, but you don't have to hate them and you don't have to demonize them and you don't have to see them as bad or evil. I think the fact that we keep trying to paint people as bad and evil actually precludes our ability to see the bad and the evil. So it's like, okay, well, that's pastor so-and-so, or that's my priest. So, and he's such a nice guy and I really like him and love him. So he couldn't possibly be doing something bad. I love my parents and my parents gave me a good life. And uh, I want to continue to be in contact with my parents. So they couldn't have done something bad either, or they had really good intentions. Well, maybe not. Maybe that was just their survival technique and they did it at your expense. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a survival technique. These are, you know, they are wounded individuals, but the more we talk about this, Veronica, it just makes me, I mean, it's really the name of the game right now is how do we stop wounding? How do we stop wounding people when they come into this world that we're creating these, you know, these people that develop this narcissism, this, you know, what, you know, whatever it might be grandiose ideas about themselves and all these things that people develop in order to again, stay afloat. So how do we stop this? Because this is unnatural. And, and this, you know, my podcast is women waken and I'm a big fan of talking about reintroducing the divine feminine. Cause to me, that's what the divine feminine is, is that which recognizes the sanctity and sacredness of life 
from the beginning of life and all the way through it that lets that soul know the entire time that you are lovable, you are worthy, you are safe as you are, you don't need anything. But I think, again, these personality disorders and narcissism develops because the message we get is, if you don't look this way, act this way, or achieve these things, you are nothing. And actually, it doesn't even really matter what you do. I will never accept you no matter what you do. It's not enough. I'll always want more. You know, when you have that critical eye that some people have, I think that's often what creates narcissist personality is people who have those parents that cannot be pleased. So no matter what they do, so why would somebody who's treated that way, how could they develop a, a healthy sense of themselves and a healthy way to treat others? Well, since I was raised by narcissistic parents, I have the ability to also be narcissistic and, and not in the social media way, you know, narcissistically abusive. Which they would call, um, there's a name for that, communal narcissism. Ah, so, that's, okay. so that's a term when people are like, they, they'll go to do, you know, noble deeds, but just to like take the selfie and post it on Instagram. <laughs> That's yeah. a big term, I guess. Yeah. Like those who act like holier than thou, but really it's just because they want everyone to see just how impressive they are. But anyways, please say, so you were... Yeah, so so the journey, and as I have experienced it, and as I, as I coach it, and as I teach it, is about introspection. That's the ninja move that we can all make to try to change society and to really improve life on this planet for the human species. We have to really start looking at ourselves. So we have to find the parts of ourselves that are abusive, the parts of ourselves that are narcissistic, the parts of ourselves that are codependent, the parts of ourselves that enable, the parts of ourselves that are frightened and doing the best that we can. And we don't demonize or hate those parts. We befriend them. All parts are welcome in IFS. We, we want to love ourselves and start to have compassion for ourselves. And as we start to do that, it becomes easier and easier to say, you know, I've perpetrated i've done something abusive i've i've done something that harmed someone and to, when you're able to claim that you can actually start to become a different kind of person yes and that's the person that i want raising children is the one who takes responsibility for themselves not the one who is feeling self-satisfied that they got it all figured out you know I raised my stepchildren when I was in my early 30s. It, it, we're children, you yeah. know? A lot of people start having children when they're 20. You're going to yeah. make mistakes. And if you don't yeah. have the humility and the self-compassion is so important. Yeah. To love, love yourself even though you've made mistakes. Oh, and, yeah. And to work through those so that you start becoming the thing you want this world to be. Yeah, I feel really, really grateful that as an incest survivor and a child sexual assault survivor, that I did not carry that forward to the next generation. But I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't gone through years of intense therapy, healing my wounds from having been sexually abused as a child. Yeah, what I did not do is have a consciousness around the fact that I could be abusive in the domestic violence way so i carried forward that kind of abuse yeah. and had to get healing around that and it's it's just so important that we keep growing and learning and changing and one of the things that i really want to change help to change the narrative around mpd 
is that if you're spending all your time trying to figure out how the narcissist is abusing you, if that's where your focus is, you're going to continue to pull in people that abuse you. Your yeah. focus has got it. And in, in IFS, we call it the U-turn, where we come back and we start looking at myself. What is it about me that pulled this in? How am I interacting with this? And you could even go one step further and try to find the parts of you that are codependent and narcissistic. Yeah. One of the things that um, Lisa Rankin, I, I recently took a workshop from her on IFS. I'm a real huge fan of hers. And she just popped a, a newsletter in my inbox this morning. And I loved it because she was talking about how we can protect ourselves from narcissists. But she said, one of the things too, is you need to be aware of the fact that people who are abused by narcissists can also be abusing others narcissistic it's it's pretty easy to flip from codependency to narcissism or from narcissism to codependency yeah but if we are busy you know saying people are just this one thing we're not going to see that and so then what do you wind up with you have you have good guys and bad guys we're back to white hats and black hats yeah not going to get us anywhere yeah it's not it's not. And and I think that it is about understanding and to be able to say again that once we understand, we get to make the decision to not subject ourselves to someone, but not, you know, condemn them or push them away. But we say, hey, what does this person need? And are you willing to address what's going on for you? And am I willing to address? Because just as you said, we none of us are innocent here. There's no one on this planet that doesn't have some narcissistic tendencies, right? We all yeah. need to do that, that introspective work and check ourselves as long as we have this mentality on this planet, which I do think produces narcissistic tendencies, which again, I think is that focus on the external rather than internal value that we're born into yeah. here. And that's like my saving. Like that's what I believe. I truly believe a future where we don't, where we've shifted our world so much that people come into this world feeling safer and don't get the messaging they do now. We're at a really dire point where the messaging is so limiting and really so external that it's hard for people to gain a healthy concept of self. And but, so polarized. So yeah. Polarized. But yet that's where we find ourselves. So people need tools, right? We got to stay alive out here. It's tough. It's tough right now. It's hard walking around the world. Like we said, when someone's super nice to you and you want to believe it and all of a sudden you get in a relationship and you're being treated like shit and you're like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Veronica, what can you tell us about, you know, because again, this is a huge buzzword. How can people identify when they might be in an, a narcissistic ab abusive yeah. relationship? Yeah. And I, and I, and I want to stress, it's really important to familiarize yourself with the toolbox of a narcissist because if you're not familiar with it, you are going to fall prey to it because that's the nature of this game is is really seductive, really. Yeah. Seductive. And so, on that on that note, I just want to say that it also people who are like people who are insecure, empathic, are so vulnerable to that because the narcissist will come and say you know, oh, well, you really should have done this that way, or you're really not good at this, or this is bad about you. And the person will say, oh my gosh, is it? Okay, well, I'll work on that. Because they, you know, an empathic person wants to think that people will tell them things that are thoughtful and support and helpful. And they'll say, okay, that must be true about me. And you have to really, it takes a lot to be able to stand on your own enough to say, you know what? They're not right about that. That's, that's not true. That's, that's absolutely true. And so here's the thing. If 
it, it can be so so just keep in mind that if you had narcissistic personality disorder you would also be convinced that other people were abusing you and that you were the victim so to make sure that you're not fooling yourself that you're not on that side of the equation here's the patterns you want to look for and the patterns that you want to look for are and this is this is the kind of questions I've asked myself when I've been in a situation where I've been being abused by a narcissist. I ask myself, how many times have I made amends and this other person has made amends? How many times have I taken responsibility for our disagreements and our meltdowns? And how many times have they taken responsibility? How many times have I been told that my memory of what was said and done was faulty and how many times did i impose that on my partner so i'm just i'm just looking at it you know factually and it really helps to keep records write it down yeah Today, today i was told that it's my fault and and all the ways that this person's feeling abused and harmed and and they don't feel safe particularly if you're working with a covert narcissist you really want to pay attention to the pity party that you're invited mm-hmm. to. They're the victim. Um, a malignant narcissist is, is actually much easier to spot because mm-hmm. they are very brazen about how important they are and how you need to be in service to them. Mm-hmm. But there's all these different gradations. And you know, you want somebody who's accountable to you, who's actually going to take responsibility for their behavior. And whether that's um whatever term works for you, whether you want to call that an apology or an amends, I don't care as long as they are actually changing the behavior and not just wallowing in more self-pity about how bad they feel about that they did that to you. You want to be looking for change, meaningful change. And if the behavior is just going to keep coming back over and over again, you're going to keep getting abused. You're gradually going to lose your health and your sanity and and your immune system is going to get compromised. These are high stakes. Mm-hmm. They're very high stakes. And you want to take it seriously. But it's that ability that hopefully you have, if you're if you're not the narcissist in this equation, that you could actually ask yourself, what, what is going on with me? And that's that's your that's your armor. Your ability to take responsibility is your armor if. You also expect the partner to be able to be accountable to to you. And if they're not accountable to you, then you're dealing with a narcissist because the narcissistic personality disorder absolutely cannot tolerate being responsible or guilty or wrong. There's no tolerance for that. That is their kryptonite. It, It threatens to cause the entire charade, the entire house that has been constructed to keep them afloat yeah to just blow it sky high and, yeah. and demolish them yeah so then it is important once you've done that check-in with yourself and kind of kept track is to trust yourself that once you've recognized that this is abuse that's happening this is gaslighting because they will if you're really deep in it they will do everything in their power to make you f- stay where they want you to to make you feel like you're the one that's to blame and that they're in the right reality. Cause that's why gaslighting is such a mess is it literally distorts your reality and you get lost in this hall of mirrors are of like, I don't know what's, that's why you find these women who will wander out of 
a decade long relationship and say, I didn't know. I didn't know for, I didn't know that it wasn't normal to be, you know, locked away in a closet in extreme cases. Right. And told that that's what I deserve. And you hear all these like crazy stories. Obviously there's different, um, there's a spectrum of things, but because distorting your reality is distorting reality. You know, when you get messaging, you're going to start to believe. And if you are susceptible to that, it's probably something that was done to you as a child. So it, that's my case. My father would literally fondle my breasts and then tell me it didn't happen. So, and that went on from age 11 to 17. That's a lot of years of being told the thing that's happening isn't happening. Yeah. And it's crippling. Now, my, my situation is an extreme case, but there's a lot of, of people, women in particular, who fall prey to being told that what they think and feel and see and witnessed didn't happen, didn't happen the way they thought it did. And, you know, Whitney, in, in you know, honor of your mission to elevate the divine feminine, I really think one of the reasons women are so susceptible to this is because the culture has been doing it to women for 6,000 years, yeah. telling women that they're, oh, you're just hysterical. Yeah. You're making a big deal out of nothing. It's your fault that he raped you. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have a right to vote. You don't have a right to bodily autonomy. We're, yeah. you know, and you should be happy about that. Yeah. Um, what, whatever the message is, it's always invalidating our perceptions. And so it really does set us up to be perfect victims for domestic violence perpetrators and sexual assaulters and uh, narcissistic personality abuse. Yes, because it's 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 in our you know blue. It, it's what we understand for so long. It's generational, right? We're and trained. so it, yeah. we're trained to that, and it, it sticks with us. And but there is this you know this shift that's happening. I think that women are recognizing more and more that yeah. that's not true. And no, I don't no. have to tolerate that anymore. And unfortunately, and that, it still happens way too often, especially oh. in some parts of the world. It's in some parts of the world, it's as bad as it was six thousand years ago, and that's just um, so horrific yeah. and unbelievable. Yet it's it's what is so right now. And I think that the more that we bring this to light and talk and talk about it. That's why I believe in podcasts and the spoken word and bringing people together to have these conversations because that's how change begins because people keep, can't keep stuffing things down. If people keep lifting the ideas up, 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 you can't can't stop that. Yeah. So true. And that's how shift happens because the more, when we identify it, people are going to talk about it more, right? The more that we talk about, Hey, the rates of narcissistic abuse are so high and it's so common now in a lot of relationships. What's going on here? What's creating these dynamics? What's fueling them? How do you, how do you know what they are? So again, let's go back to how people can, and maybe the different types of narcissism and how, well, we talked about a few, but you know, some of the more common things that can happen maybe early on for people to kind of really kind of like red lights to kind of look out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the first thing you want to do is when you get that, that, that feeling in your gut that somebody just told you that something that you know happened didn't happen. That's a, that's a really, that should be a red flag to you. Yeah. Because um, in partnership, there should be curiosity about your experience. Like, oh, okay. I, I saw that 
differently. I had a different Yeah, like, oh, wow. Okay, well, tell me what, that wasn't my experience, but what was yours? Yeah, what, what, how, how did that impact you? What was going on with you? Mm-hmm. So, so the lack of curiosity, the agenda to get you to agree with their version of reality at all costs. Yeah. The, the, these are red flags. And, and that's usually the first thing that happens. It's, it doesn't look like overt abuse. What it looks like is we need to get on the same page about what's true here. And I know what's true. And you're mistaken. Or I think you're making a big deal out of this. Or, you know, don't you think you kind of tend to be emotional? Or, you know, even your mother agreed with me that that's not how that happened. Mm -hmm. Things that undermine you and start to cause you to doubt yourself. That's really where it starts. It doesn't doesn't start with ripping off your bank account or cheating on you. It starts very subtle. And I think also an early sign are, are subtle controlling behaviors. Something as little as like, oh, you didn't call me. When, when you said you would, or, oh, I called you, you didn't answer. Yeah, I was yeah. on a call. Okay, well, I was trying to get a hold of you. So it would have been nice if you answered. And you, and you feel like, well, but I just told you that I was in, you know, I was in the middle of something. I was in a meeting. I was, and, and it's those little things to kind of look out for where there's part of you that says that doesn't, anything that kind of takes you aback is yeah. something that's not very loving. I've noticed that when I look at my history, anytime that I've gotten into a situation that wasn't great, I had those initial responses of that doesn't, that feels off. And it's important to kind of, a good thing to do to kind of check yourself is to say, if there was a loving, kind person interacting with me, would they say, is that a loving, kind thing to say? A normal thing is, oh yeah, I did. I tried calling you. What were you up to? You know? And as soon as you say, oh, I was in a meeting. Okay. But anyone that's going to say, well, you still should have answered your phone or, well, I would have appreciated if you had called me right away after just anything that's sort of, trying to exert some kind of power over is something to look out for early on. I think it's also really important to be looking for the inability. And this is how I hold MPD. It's an inability to take responsibility. It's not a refusal. It's, it's an inability. So you say something like, wow, when you, when you said that or did that, that really hurt. And they're like, Oh no, you, you totally misunderstood me. That's not what I, that's not what I did. That's not what I meant. Um, or and then maybe another time you want to be looking for these patterns over time. So and then you know another time you say, um, you know, I um I feel really hurt by what you did, and they're like, well, you know, I, I think you're being unreasonable. So any any if the if it's the consistent messages. So here's the thing: everybody does this, okay? Everybody is going to have that reactive brain. Now, I, I don't do that because, and probably Whitney, you don't either, because we've trained ourselves not to do these behaviors. We bring curiosity to our partners. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, a lot of couples I work with who don't have MPD are going to get defensive and say, well, that's not what I meant. You're misunderstanding me. Okay. To actually go so far as to realize you're being abused, narcissistic, it has to be a consistent pattern. And it will yeah. It will be, it will be impenetrable. It will be like their armor. You cannot get through. Yes. They will always have the correct version of reality and they will never be responsible for what they've done. Mm -hmm. And and so for all of those, I think there's like six different types of narcissism. Yes. Um, 
and certainly the, the malignant's the one most people talk about. The covert, almost nobody talks about. And I think it's really important. It's important to get that get out there. And then there's the uh, like grandiose or overt. So that's that's what we mostly think of, right? The person that like yeah. has no qualms of saying, I'm the best thing ever. I'm the best at everything. Yes. I'm the top. Everyone, no one is as smart, as good, as talented as I am. Just like no questions asked. Like, why are we even talking about anyone else but me? <laughs> like that's <laughs> sort of what we think of. And then you've got the one who is socially motivated, who really wants to get all the awards and the accolades and the applause and do good mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Uh, but they want to do good things that are seen. Yes. The communal. Yeah. And then there's also, I don't know if we touched on this, but the benign narcissist is another one. Oh, I'm and not familiar with that. That's sort of like, I guess you would call like your garden variety narcissist. It's more of those that like the people that you come across where it, I think it truly just is sort of a tendency, like maybe to kind yeah. of look them up, but that's constantly like, well, you know, but that's always talking about themselves. That's very like self-centered, we would call it, right? Like everything kind of comes like that friend you might have where it's like everything always comes back to them. Like they always make it about them and everything's oh, about, they just oh. talk about themselves oh. and they focus on themselves. And it's just sort of like the me show, right? And not so grandiose where it's like, they literally think that they are entitled to everything, but they just have this tendency to kind of, you know, benign. So it's not that harmful, but it's still like kind of obnoxious and kind of maybe not someone that you found you can have a great friendship with, right? Because it's, you feel like it's a one-sided thing. I've been that person. Right. Yes. Thank We all have, right? I've, I identify with you. I, I always, I'm always thinking about this one friend of mine, a former friend from a long time ago. It was, it was early sobriety, Whitney. And one of the things we know about alcoholics and addicts, they are self-centered people. So that includes Included me when I first got sober, all about me. And I just feel so bad about this poor woman sitting across the table. We go out to eat dinner and I just, it was all about me. Yeah. She was a great listener. Yeah. And I think that's so healthy and important to say is like, again, we've, we can all be narcissists. God knows I can be. And it, but it's just a matter, we all have tendencies that again, come from different places where we were trying to protect ourselves or to prove something because we didn't feel like we were enough. We felt like we had to fight for our lives and we developed these tendencies. And, and I think it's important to not, again, like parts work to not shame them and not try to reject that parts of ourselves, but say, okay, that was, how can I shift this? If I'm not a huge fan of how this has shown up, how can I move into a new space? How can I be more aware of this? And right? the best way that I have found to shift those parts that are doing behaviors that you don't want to do is to get curious about why they're doing it to protect you. How is this yeah. protecting? Mm -hmm. And if you get curious about that, the part will tell you, I'm doing this because you can't be trusted, or I'm doing this because they can't be trusted, or I'm doing this because it's always worked in the past. And if you start that compassionate curiosity that kind of a dialogue with that part of you, it's going to ease up and give you some space to actually be the beautiful soul that you really are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the ironic thing is a lot of narcissism is defensiveness. It's reactiveness. And it's, so that's a very um, charged energy, but when you start to heal and you kind of like, you have less of a charge, you find less of a need to be that sort of trying to prove or trying to be showy, right. Or make it about you. Because I've noticed that for myself is when I've noticed selfish and narcissistic tendencies, I said, okay, well, how can I like move more from 
what what things are for me to what someone else's experience is. Get more curious about people. Ask other people a question. Be focused not just on, is this going to work out for me? Which made me realize that a lot of my tendencies came from times in my life where I felt like no one gave a, a shit whether I was going to be okay, whether I was, you know, safe and, you know, whatever it was or that nobody just cared and that maybe I didn't matter. That was a key thing for yeah. me. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, because all of us here are fighting to, to feel special, to feel loved because again, we feel on this planet, it's something that's not, in, or we don't believe it's inherent. Mm. We believe that it's something you earn, something you gain. You're not worthy when you're born, only when you become something that's impressive or desirable to others. So when you feel like you kind of like lost the lottery and no one gives a shit about you, it's like, well, someone, I got to care about myself then. So you can develop this over abundance sense of I'm important. I'm, I'm always thinking about me, 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 because no one else is. And that's or, or, or it'll make you really susceptible to love bombing because then oh. here comes a narcissist to tell you how amazing you are. Yeah. And you're like, finally, somebody, that's what I was saying earlier. You're like, finally, someone sees me. Somebody cares. I'm okay. not just like that lost person, but no one so, so if you go further into the narcissistic abusive relationship, what you'll find is that you're walking on eggshells. That's another thing I was going to say with the red, with the red lights is that if you feel like, oh my God, are they going to get upset about this? Are we going to have a fight? That's not, that's not a healthy situation. But let's be careful to nuance that because I work with lots of couples who don't have MPD in their relationship who are walking on eggshells because they don't want to fight and they don't uh, want conflict. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't always have to be narcissism, but that's a key part of a narcissist is that so you, again, you want to look for the long-term pattern here. Yes. So if, if you are consistently the one who's backing down and trying to make nice, if that's what's happening here, then that there's at the very least, there's a power differential in the relationship. And this person is abusive. Are they a narcissist? I don't know. I, I got I, I, I need to know, do they lack the ability to take responsibility and are they gaslighting you with their version of the truth? One of the reasons the narcissist gaslights is because the truth is toxic to them. Yes. The talk, the truth would take them down. It would the truth, the truth would mean that they were fallible, that they were not godlike. Mm -hmm. And that unfortunately takes them back to a place where they were probably severely abused as a child. Yeah. And that's in the same sort of vein as we we're saying that, you know, they don't even recognize that they're some of the things they're doing. I don't even think sometimes they realize that what they're saying is a lie. I think they believe their own lies so strongly oh, they, that they, Oh, 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 they have to. Yeah. That, that's the part that I, you know, you're not talking to a somebody who's demonic here. Now, granted, if we're going to talk about that malignant narcissist who's verging on sociopathy or psychopathy, yeah. maybe so. Maybe they know they're lying to you and they just are doing it just to mess with you. Yeah. But most narcissists are fighting for their own survival. So what would it do to their survival if they didn't believe their lies? That that would be destruction. It'd be the end of them. It'd be the end of yeah. them. Know it. So of so of course they believe their lies. They have to. Yeah. And that is, I believe, what makes them so incredibly convincing. Yeah. Because because yeah. they're not actually lying. They are sharing their truth with you. 
Yeah. But that's when you really got to, you got to check in with your intuition because I've been in that situation before and I started to recognize your line and you're, you're, you believe it. So it's actually your truth, but it's not true. And so I'm going to slowly walk away from this because there's something not right here. This person is a danger to others because they are so stuck in this, you know, this deep insecurity that they have to create a different facade that they're, and again, it's not their fault. It's, it's never anyone's fault. No one chooses except for, you know, when we talk about malignant narcissists who just, and psychopaths who are, you know, it's hard to understand, but it's like, they're this next level of wanting. They just don't have that human understanding where they, they're predators. Yeah. They're predators. And most, most people who are abusive are not predators. They're, they're doing the best they can. And unfortunately their best just is criminal and should go to jail. Um. (laughs) But then, but then that's why I'm such a big believer in, um, you know, reformation in in prisons, places where you can go and say, okay, you did it. You did this thing that really hurt others. How can we work with you? How can we help you? You know, how can we provide services? How can we get IF, um, IFS therapists to go into prisons and work with them? Hell yes. I I can totally see you doing that. I, (laughs) that would be awesome for you. You'd be perfect. Bring IFS into it because uh, why am I such a fan of this? Only because I've seen it work. That's why. Yeah. I've just seen it work. I've seen it heal. And I and and some pretty incorrigible situations that you think there's no hope for this. Yeah. Yeah. And and particularly I, I'm a fan of it for MPD. And, yeah. and if anybody is suspicious that they might have it, they probably don't, by the way. <laughs> because if you're if you're if you're being introspective and wondering, am I a narcissist? The answer is probably no. Um, because that's that's not- a, tr- a true narcissist will never ask that question. Not usually. Yeah. Not usually. It, it, it's gonna have to be a situation where the relationships that they depend on are pushing them in a direction of having to recover and get well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've made it clear, but a few things is that it's okay to have narcissistic tendencies. We all do at some point. Yeah. And if you find yourself in a narcissistic abusive relationship, ask reach out some reach out to people resources people who can that you can throw explain them to this to them and share with them and say hey what do you think about this transparency openness talk about it talk to the person and say you know i really feel like you're kind of manipulating the truth and just like you said the biggest indicator is when they deny it you know up and down and aren't even willing to say oh is that that's how you feel tell me more how you feel when someone isn't willing to look at your perspective it's cuz they don't care about your perspective of reality it's, they want it's that it's that they cannot look at it it's not that they yeah. don't care it's that they're incapable they because their survival depends on this false truth that they've manufactured yeah so so that makes them very dangerous to your well-being and it's important that you um, find a way to protect yourself, like maybe get out of the situation or distance yourself from the situation. Get a therapist for yourself, for sure. And I think it's really crucial if you are suspicious that you are being narcissistically abused to listen to as many podcasts as you can to study the patterns. Yes. Because there's certain catchphrases that you're going to go, oh, oh, oh that, that, that's the one. That's the one that that he said or she said. 
and 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 uh, oh, I didn't realize this was this was the script. Mm-hmm. And and then the other thing is keep a record because it is normal for couples to disagree about what happened. It is absolutely going to happen that people do not believe that what was said was said, what was done was done. But if consistently you're on the losing end of that proposition and you always have to surrender your truth in order to align yourself with the narcissist's truth, then you'll know that this is a narcissistically abusive relationship and you're being gaslit. Yes, absolutely. And there is there's so many resources out there for anyone in that situation. And as we said, whether it's been two months or 10 years, there's mm-hmm. always a chance to what no shame, you know? And also I just really want to offer that how easy it is to get into that relationship and to, you know, get yeah. into that dynamic and find yourself deep in it, you know? And also um, to get into that pattern of just like you said, the similarities between domestic abuse and narcissism is that, you know, the, the tricky thing is that there's is still love there. Even in a toxic or dysfunctional or unhealthy relationship, there's still love. Yeah. That person is not, like you said, they're not a monster. They're just, they have these tendencies that are harmful. But, you know, because I know I've been there where it's like, I really love that person. I like this part. And I, and it's hard to move away from it. It's hard to let it go. And I think that's where some of this shame comes in is people don't want to admit like, I was staying with this person who treated me horribly, but I actually still really love them. And, and unfortunately, the longer the longer that you allow yourself to be abused, the more perverse the abuse will become. Mm-hmm. And the, the further you will go into losing yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, just, you know, knowing that it's okay if you've kind of fallen into it. Also, if you've gotten into love bombing. And if you've, you know, appreciated those, that attention and all it's, it's okay. It's nothing to, but just, you know, make sure that when you start just, just like you said, like everything kind of starts to fail. If you're in an unhealthy relationship, you're going to notice that you're compromising yourself. You're, you're making, cause you start to change what you would normally do because again, walking on eggshells, you don't want to upset them. So when you notice that you're compromising yourself, the things, your self-care, your, your sleep, you know, I dated someone once who would keep me up until late in the night to grill me on things that I was wrong about. And I, luckily I only stayed for a few months, but I still stayed for a few months and I let them do that. And I didn't realize because I did, I thought that I, that he was helping me grow, you know, and that's another thing you got to be careful of is like, I'm a very spiritual, like, you know, self-development person, but a narcissist will take advantage of that because they'll tell you things that aren't true. They'll try to make you seem like things are wrong with you that aren't wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous to fall into. Because again, if you're like that, you're like, oh, wow, I want to hear more about my shortcomings and how I can fix them. <laughs> oh, well, Don't oh, say that to a narcissist because they will take you up on it. <laughs> Whitney, I, I have to leave in a couple of minutes because I've got a client walking through the door. <laughs> but I, wanna t- I, I just want to add one thing, but one postscript to this. Yes. As I was unpacking the narcissistic abuse in a previous relationship, one of the things that occurred to me is my propensity to be enamored with love bombing was itself narcissistic. There's a little twist Mm. because the love bombing makes you the most wonderful, amazing center of attention. Yeah. yeah. And you can enjoy that. And that. that and that is where my disorder lies is being
being attracted to that because I was so verbally abused as a child that I want to hear all these good things. But it it actually mirrors what the narcissist needs in the way of narcissistic supply because they're needing to have a lot of praise and appreciation too. That's another important term is narcissistic supply. And, And what I'm doing here right now is nobody's done this, but I'm going to do it right now on your program. I'm going to tell you that I think that narcissistic supply and love bombing are very similar, if not almost the same thing. And this is one of the things that creates a common bond between the target and the narcissist is an agreement that we are going to bolster each other with a lot of praise. Yeah. Yeah. Could you share a little bit about quickly about narcissistic supply for those who haven't heard that term? Yes. Narcissistic supply is that because there is no self-esteem, there's no core that says I feel good about myself in the the narcissist, that they need constant affirmation that they're appreciated, that they're loved, that they're good, that they're superior, that they're amazing. Yeah. And by the way, love bombing sounds pretty much the same thing. Love bombing is I need you. I can't live without you. You're amazing. You're special. There's nobody like you. They're very similar. I think they're the same thing. And I think this is where the narcissist and the target meet. Where they diverge is that the target's more likely to take all the blame and really try to work on themselves. And the narcissist Mm -hmm. is going to refuse responsibility and gaslight to hell and back. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fascinating dynamic. It is. It's once fascinating. You're, once you're out of it, once you're out of it, it's fascinating. Yeah. Then there's a lot to unpack and observe. But for those who are in it, please reach out. There'll be, you know, resources in the show notes. You can reach out to Veronica or I as, you know, coaches as someone to work with. And, but also there's just so many resources online on, you know, videos about what to look out for and how to get out of these situations. Yeah. Look look for the podcast that specialize in narcissism through the IFS filter, because that will help you do that U-turn and start looking at how you made your, what it is about you that made you susceptible. Yeah. Well, Veronica, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. It was so great to have you back on the show. It's so fun to have a show like this where we're just talking about, and we we went for a long time. We did awesome. We did, and I love it, and let's do it again. Let's do it again. I hope it was helpful for everyone. I know there's so much to cover here. We might just have to do the same topic again, and it's such a big one. And you know what I would love? Great. Invite people to post their questions or email their questions, and then we're going to have a program just answering questions. That's what I was just about to say is, how cool would it be if we had like a live audience stream? Like maybe we'll do a live together. So everybody look out for that. I'll be posting about that. Awesome. <laughs> Love All right, Veronica. Darling. Thank you. Thank you, doll. Take care.